Hello and welcome to the After Sermon Podcast, where we learn about a Bible topic, character, or concept. And today we're learning about grace through faith as we study the sermon from rebellion to redemption. Jesus actually didn't die from blood loss or from the pain or from torture or anything. Jesus died from the, the weight of the sins that he was carrying. Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We can choose to either mock Jesus, or to just think he's a fake or fraud, or you can get down on your knees and say, Surely this man was the Son of God. Hi, my name is Christopher, and today we have with us two esteemed guests. We have Mr. Mitchell Santa. Hey, it's your boy. And we have our preacher for the day, Mr. Michael Godfrey. All right, gents. Well, let's get right into it. We have a bit of a longer episode today. But just before we do, if you haven't watched the sermon from Rebellion to Redemption, go to the link below and come back here later because this podcast is full of spoilers. With that out of the way, let's go into our quick recap. The sermon's all about this penitent thief on the cross. I'm sure you guys all know the story of the um, the story that I'm talking about. Very popular story. You hear, you hear it repeated a lot. So you've got two thieves hanging up on crosses on either side of Jesus um, at Calvary, at Golgotha. And they're both blaspheming him at first, the two thieves. But then one of them has a change of heart and he repents. And then Jesus promises him paradise, a place in his kingdom. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing story. Like right from the beginning until right to the end. Um, yeah, in its entirety, it's just a, an awesome story. It takes up less than 10 verses, um, and less than 5 if we're only talking about the thief, which is pretty crazy. So, pretty clearly, we can see that the whole story is actually an allegory of all of our own Christian experiences, where all criminals, rebels, in a hopeless position. But Christ is our saviour, and he's hanging there, innocent, taking our place, gaining us eternal life in exchange for his death. Right, and so my whole sermon takes a really in-depth look at this story. First of all, we take a look at the background behind the story. We have a look at who really, who these criminals really were. Were they common thieves or were they something much worse? So you have to listen to the sermon to figure that one out. And then Michael takes a really or further in-depth look at the main passage in Luke um, on the story. Um, he looks at how the thief actually experiences salvation. Um, and we see, like, the, the thief realizes that he's sinful. Um, he's just remorseful and repentant, and um, he sees his hopeless condition that he's in, and he sees Jesus as this innocent savior. Um, basically, the thief puts his, his trust and faith in, in Christ, and then Christ promises him um, eternal life. Look, it's really an amazing story, and it's just so relatable for each one of us today. So again, listeners, if you haven't already, I encourage you to check out the sermon from Rebellion to Redemption. All right, let's get into our personal takeaways. So, guys, tell me, what did you get out of the sermon? What did you think of the sermon? One, yeah, the really cool thing I got was Michael mentioned in the sermon about how the thief, the, the thief that repents, he actually mentions when he talks about... Um, he rebukes the other thief, basically, who's been mocking Jesus. And he says, like, 
we we deserve to be hanging here, right? Like, mm. it's pretty crazy. First of all, he's a thief. He's gone right through with the process up until being crucified. So, you know, he's committed the crime. He's been punished and he's being executed for it by torture. Um, but what's really cool is that the, this thief, seeing Jesus, he basically just says, like, yeah, I deserve this. Um, and, and Michael says, like, it's more than just him recognising that he's broken the law. He recognises that he's sinned, and he also recognises Jesus as, you know, being innocent, but mm. dying for sins. And, yeah, that, anyway, that's what Michael took out of it, and I, th- I found that really, really cool at that point. Yeah. I think... Um one of my main personal takeaways was actually the idea that you gave um, about it seems a bit of a bit overkill to have a thief hanging up on a cross. Um, you know, this is like the the punishment reserved for the most heinous of criminals, and we often just think of him as like a common lowly thief, and it doesn't quite make sense. So I like that you brought up like from the original text and all of that this idea that. Um, the thief on the cross was probably like a rebel um, and he committed far more drastic crimes than we often associate him with so I found that very interesting as just like uh, a really good trivia and and on those lines the connection with Barabbas that, that Michael mentioned as well oh perfect perfect um, especially since if you look at the story of Barabbas uh, it too is an example of Jesus taking our place again. Yeah, yeah. So is a symbol of us as well. Um, so it was just like this inception of how many examples <laughs> are there of us, you know, being represented by these different characters. Yeah. Um, and and that's really one of the the cool things that I love. I love it when you read a story, and as you look deeper into it, like you did in the sermon, you begin to see that um, that's that's you. Uh, I, I love uh, ideas like that. Uh, like, for example, we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan um, in episode 11, which was uh, looking at this idea that in order for you to go and help people, you have to first realize that Jesus helped you, that mm. you were the person who was robbed to begin with. And so, similarly with this one, you pulled out that idea that we are that thief on the cross. Um, so I really appreciate things, uh, I really appreciate those symbols where you are the person in that story. Mm. Um, and man, that poem at the end, oh, you get me with your poetry, you're, you're so good with yeah. these poems. I, just, I, 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 I loved around, that. I was walking around the block with my dogs listening to the sermon, and I just... Because it's the first time I'd heard the poem, because I wasn't there when you preached it. And it was, like, I don't know how Michael does such good poetry. It just doesn't make sense mm. to me. It, it sounded uh, like it was made up by some old English scholar or something. I was like, yeah. Michael didn't actually know that, did he? <laughs> I, better not be, I better not be able to put that in Google and find it attributed to some old guy, <laughs> Michael. <laughs> no, 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 don't worry. Don't worry, don't- that was mine. <laughs> I, no, um, I got the idea one day when I was um, um, uh, after I'd done most of the sermon I just had, I had a few lines come into my head that rhymed and I was like hmm you know why don't I just expand this and, and kind of create a poem and kind of make that my summary it's a good way to sum everything up and to kind of hammer the point home so 
Mm. You got to give that. Well, yeah. it, was a, it was it was a perfect way to wrap up like all the powerful stuff you'd said because there's Great. just something about you know like poetry um, that really speaks to to people. Um, yeah, especially sure. especially when you're talking about such profound things. So those mm, are my exactly. big personal yeah. takeaways from the sermon. Thanks. Thanks. All right, then. Well, let's keep the ball rolling. Let's get into our main meat of the podcast, The Cutting Room Floor. And Mr. Mitchell, what is The Cutting Room Floor? The Cutting Room Floor is the segment where we discuss the parts of the sermon that didn't make it into the final product. Oh, Whoa. And we break them down. Whoa. Nice. Whoa. <laughs> nice. Are you, are you worried right. about delivery or the concept? <laughs> <laughs> the whole uh, segment, of course. It's about 50-50 at this point. Oh, 50-50. <laughs> mm, right. Mm. All right, the cutting room floor. Just a few fun facts I've got here to begin. First all right. of all, the word penitent. Let's talk about the word penitent. The word it's penitent. an interesting word. I use that word a lot in my sermon. I think I did um, I did like a, you know, how you can do control fine. You can click that and have a look through your notes. Um, it ended up coming up 50 times, whoa, something like whoa. that. Some crazy <laughs> thing like that. Um, something crazy, yeah. Um, so I thought I'd mention it briefly. It's a bit of an old-fashioned word. You don't hear it used very often today. Um, I read it um, quite a lot when I was researching for the sermon, but it's basically what it means. Um, it's defined as a feeling uh, feeling or showing sorrow or regret for having done something wrong. So it's similar to repentant. You could interchange it for repentant, repentant thief, penitent thief. It just means I regret what I've done, as opposed to the impenitent thief right on the other side of Jesus who did not regret what he was doing at all. Um, and and probably um, the the thief on the other side. You know, how we mentioned um, that the the impenitent the penitent thief. We said that he um, he felt sorry for um, what he'd done. Not only in the sense that he'd broken the law of the land, but also that he'd broken God's law. That he'd sinned, right? Mm. So that um, that that's also that idea of being penitent. Um, secondly, the names of the two thieves. I left this part out of the sermon due to timing and because the names of the criminals aren't actually mentioned in the New Testament, but I thought it'd be interesting to include it here. According to Christian tradition, you've got the name of the penitent thief. His name was Dismas. So in the Catholic Church, you've got him venerated as Saint Dismas. Um, just thought, yeah, a bit of a fun fact there, a little bit of, um, <laughs> bit of interest. So Dismas is adapted from a Greek word, which means sunset or death. How's that for a prophecy? Is that like the word dismal? <laughs> yeah, yeah, similar to dismal, I think. Yeah, so this is a Greek word, dismis. Sunset or death. Mm. So um, that's interesting. When you've got a criminal that's dying at sunset. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And then <laughs> and then you've got variations like demis. Um, then you've got random ones like zoetham, titus, raka. <laughs> yeah, interesting. And then the other guy's clearly, name. Clearly very connected to dismis. Yeah. <laughs> Or Dismas, rather. Mm, so you got Dismas. Then this other guy, right? The guy that didn't repent. His name, according to tradition, we haven't got it in the Bible, but according to tradition, his name was Gestus. And this one's interesting, too. His name means to complain or to moan. So there you go. Mm. And variations are Gesmus or Dumacus. Again, kind of similar. Not really. <laughs> Not at all similar. <laughs> yeah. But that's interesting. So you've got Dismas, whose name means sunset or death, and then Gestus, whose name means to complain or to moan. So, hmm. um, kind that's of cool. self-fulfilling prophecies right there. Um, <laughs> all right, next point. I mentioned this briefly in my sermon, had to brush over it due to time constraints. 
So I'd often read the passage. Um, the passage I'm talking about is the passage in Luke, the main passage that the sermon focused on. So I'd read through the passage and I'd be wondering, why is this story in the Bible? Have you guys ever thought that mm. before? Why is it in the Bible? What's the point? Oh, yeah. What's the point of it? It's not just in Luke, right? It's also, it's also mentioned in Matthew and Mark. And it only takes up in its entirety less than 10 verses and less than five if we're only talking about the thief. So what's its mm. significance? Uh, and I would say after studying it, I think it's pretty clear that it's an allegory for salvation or observation. Um, a number of times in the Bible, you've got people asking Jesus and the disciples, what must I do to be saved? Well, here's your answer. I mean, here, here's someone, a thief, right, whose position looks hopeless. He's being condemned to die. And not only is he being condemned to die, he deserves it as well. He's broken the law pretty clearly. And um, the Pharisees and the other spiritual leaders at the time wouldn't be feeling any sympathy or, at all for this guy, right? Because you've got this this um, this ideology, these, these, um, this kind of mindset at the time where the spiritual leaders are saying, if something bad is happening to you, if you've got some affliction and you deserve it, you know, then God's punishing you, then... Mm. Um, they say, who, who sinned, this man or his parents, right? Yep. So the Pharisees are looking up, and not just the Pharisees, I mean, anyone would be looking up and saying, that's justice. You've got a criminal hanging on a cross, mm. he deserves to die, and he's getting what he deserves, right? Um, so no one's really turning their heads and thinking this is a strange occurrence. Um, mm. In my sermon, I talk about the idea that these guys um, hanging next to Jesus were probably not your commonplace bread-stealing criminals. You guys were talking about this in the... Um, and, and the other section that we had. So, um, in the Bible, and you'll have to, for anyone listening, go to my sermon. I give a lot more detail about this. But they're called rebels in Matthew and Mark. The same terminology used to describe Barabbas, who was a murderer and leader of a rebellion. And we could probably liken that today to, um, to today's street gangs, right? So they were part of like a gang or something like that. These guys have done some bad stuff, right? But Jesus looks mm. at them with mercy and compassion, irrespective of their past, which is something that the Pharisees, nor the spiritual leaders, nor anyone else at that time would have done. Mm-hmm. Um, I I tell you what I find fascinating, like after all the physical pain that Jesus has gone through and is currently suffering, possibly one of the most terrible mm-hmm. methods of death you could ever experience. He he actually like spends and exhausts his breath in talking to yeah, this guy. Yeah, yeah. If you know Which what I mean. Crazy. Like, it, put it this way. If I was essentially being tortured to death, I would not want to talk to anyone. <laughs> I would just be... If somebody started talking to me, I'd just go, no, don't don't talk to me. Can't you see <laughs> the immense pain that I'm in? And yet, like, in the last few minutes that Jesus has to live, he spends part of that time talking to this thief. Mm. He actually, like... And I, uh, the whole idea of crucifixion, right, you know, was that um, you couldn't really, like, lift yourself up and get huge breaths of air. Mm. You, were, you were basically um, dying of asphyxiation as well as these nails yeah, exactly. and all these all other things. And Jesus actually, like, uses his breath to talk to this guy and tell him, yeah, you'll be in heaven. With and the other yeah, thing, that's a really good point. Um, the other thing from that story... Um, Jesus actually didn't die from blood loss or from the pain or from torture or anything. Jesus died from the, the weight mm. of the sins that he was carrying. So mm. We, mm. we look at him and we see, like, oh, man, like he's got nails through his hands and feet and like he's been beaten and whipped and he's 
just hanging on this cross, and yeah, he can't breathe, he can't get enough air into his lungs and all the rest. And like, yeah, like mm. any of us would, you know, we couldn't speak. I couldn't speak. Yeah, I'd man. Be, I'd be gargling mm. on Lemon's spit. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus wasn't just dealing with that. Jesus was bearing the sins of everyone, past, present, and future. And yeah. and all that was going in on in his mind was, who else can I, you know, who else's sins can I take on? Mm, I know it's it's oh, crazy. It's like, crazy. Yeah. Uh, isn't it interesting though that um, as you said. Jesus, he's taking on all the sins of the world, and, uh, you know, there's that verse, he became sin for mm. us. And yet, even though Jesus is taking upon all the sins of the world, in that moment, the thief still says, this man has yeah, done nothing yeah. wrong. I know. It's so yeah, fascinating. that's really he interesting. Goes, he, mm. he says to the other, uh, the impenitent thief, don't you see, this man is innocent. Yeah. And yet this innocent person is taking on the sins of the world at the exact yep. same moment. It's, it's profound. And like I said in my sermon, it's almost inspired that he, that he was able to recognize that and to see that and to say that at that time. Yeah. When everyone else around uh, him was like, he's guilty, he's guilty. And they've got, um, you've got his accusation written above him that says, yeah. you know, Jesus, King of the Jews. <laughs> mm. Mm. It's so and funny, I, right? Following on. <laughs> Sorry, Christopher. I'll just be real quick and then. <laughs> no, 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 go for it. <laughs> His accusation, King of the Jews, is just like, hey, we're killing, you know, the Savior. And they're not wrong. They're not wrong in their accusation. Yeah. <laughs> they're right. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. That's interesting. So, was it almost kind of like they were treating Jesus as like a usurper of the throne? In a way, you know? Yeah. Because remember also, you know, they give him like a royal robe and they give him a crown of yeah, thorns. So. Or all of this was supposed to be like, look at this guy, he calls himself the king yeah. of the Jews. So, like, his accusation put above his head was even a, a mock mm, at him. Mm, mm. Um, all of these things were just mocking at uh, him in his death. Another thing that's really interesting is uh, that Jesus takes the time to talk to other people as well, not just yep. the thief. Um, you have, like, recorded in John's Gospel... Uh, you know, Jesus, he looks down at John and he says, John, this is your mother, pointing to his mother. Mm. And then to his mother, Mary, he says, and Mary, this is your son. You know, t- John, you take care of my mum for me. I, why? <laughs> I, 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 as, as you said, I would not be talking at all. I just, I couldn't be thinking about anything else but my pain. And here's Jesus thinking about, how can I help my mother yeah. out? How can I, how can I bring one more person uh, into salvation before I die. And all, as you said, all this time bearing the entire sins of the world. I mean, how selfless can mm-hmm. you be? It's it's crazy the selfless attitude that Jesus yeah. has on the cross. And another unlikely story um, of somebody impacted by this crucifixion is, you know, that centurion, uh, that Roman yes. guard, yep. who's watching this all take place. When Jesus dies, he says, surely this man was yeah, the son of yeah. God. Ah, it, it's interesting how, at Jesus' death, all these unlikely people end up being converted. The thief on the cross, uh, the Roman centurion. But then you also have a lot of people who rejected it, all the Pharisees and all the people mocking mm. him and all the other Roman soldiers. So I think, like, uh, it's an even more uh, in-depth look at the allegory of salvation because, again... 
everyone looks at the cross. Everyone in life is given an opportunity to look yeah. at the cross. And we can choose to either mock Jesus or to just think he's a fake or a fraud. Uh, or you can get down on your knees and say, surely this man was the son mm. of God. That's the two parties that we see at the cross, are the exact same two that we have today. That's the, that's the choice before exactly. us. And as, and as, and as you pull out uh, of the story of the thief, even another, another um, example of an allegory within an allegory within <laughs> an allegory is the thief and the impenitent thief. One of them is willing to repent and the other one isn't willing mm-hmm. to repent. And it's, it's so fascinating how many, symbolic and metaphorical things are happening at just one point. Yeah, Jesus, is, yeah it's Jesus told a lot of parables during his ministry, and his death was mm. also a parable. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> As we can see. Mm. The parable master. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, really, really interesting story. Really good story, and that's, um, as we've just explained, there's the significance right there. That's why it's in the Bible. Mm. So at the beginning of my sermon... Uh, I tell a story about a man who, um, the man's using the story of the penitent thief to try and get out of various aspects of Christian life. So he says stuff like, oh, no, I haven't been baptized, but that thief on the cross, you know, he wasn't baptized and God still accepted him. Um, and he didn't pay tithes and offerings and he didn't participate in communion and, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the penitent yeah. thief didn't have to. So why should I? What do we really need to do in order to be saved? What must I do to be saved? This is, like I said, something that I kind of touched on a little bit in the sermon, didn't really expand on very much. So I'm going to ask you boys now, would you agree that we are saved by grace alone and not by works? Well, you see, Michael, (laughs) um, at the moment, I have a special running. Um, One indulgence will only set you back uh, $12.99, and that is to get one of your sins pardoned. Um, That includes GST. That does not oh, include GST, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Mitchell, what do you reckon? Stop exposing me, Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a little uh, theological lesson here. Now, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says this. It says, but For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But... We're saved by grace alone. Does that mean we shouldn't keep the law of God? What do you think? Oh, uh, Michael, that would be referred to as antinomy. Oh, anti... <laughs> dang it. Uh, an- antinomianism, I think. Let me just clarify that. Antinom... Yeah, antinomianism. We at the After Sermon podcast um, also have the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... Yeah, the idea of the antinomianism was that if you are under grace and not under law, then you don't have to keep the law. Right, right. And actually, that's what Paul is trying to argue against in In Romans. In Romans chapter 6. Yeah, in Romans chapter 6, he says, What shall we do then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Uh, And he keeps saying that over and over again through Romans. So... Uh, yeah, to answer that question, once once you're in grace, you want to you want to keep God's law. You know, it's not a burden anymore because you're not trying to fulfill the law so that you can get saved. Because mm. you cannot you can't do exactly. that. 
instead you do instead you're doing it out of love. Right. Um, the way I like to think of it is uh, okay. So let's take this idea. Um, so a, a lot of the antinomians actually thought that if you continue to sin, well, that gives God an opportunity to give you more oh. grace, and God's God's grace is a good thing, hack. right? So. <laughs> yeah, it's a life hack. Look at that. If I just keep sinning, God keeps forgiving. God gets to do his thing. So they actually were convinced that in sinning, they were helping out God. Um, but the problem is, as soon as you think of it in relational terms, as in a relationship with mm, God, mm. that logic falls exactly. apart straight away. Um, let's say you have Mr. Smith and Mr. Jones, and each of them have a wife. Now, Mr. Smith... Uh, he's very nice to his wife, uh, and he might he might do a little bit of a hiccup every now and then. So Mrs. Smith only has to forgive him a few times. Mm. Meanwhile, uh, Mr. Jones uh, beats up his wife, and he's he's a terrible jerk. He never helps out of the house. Uh, he's mean and he's rude. And Mrs. Jones has to keep forgiving him. Now. Which relationship would you prefer to be in? With Mr. Jones or Mr. Smith? That's a tough one, Chris. <laughs> You'd want to be with Mr. Smith, who's on, on the whole pretty well, nice I mean, to I'd his like wife. to be with Mrs. Smith, but sorry, keep going, keep going. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that too. Um, but the idea is that just because you keep forgiving and doesn't mean that the relationship should be that way. You know, you're still in a bad relationship. Mm, mm, good point. And so if we keep, if if we're like Mr. Jones and we keep sinning against God, we, we keep abusing him, well, yeah, sure, Mr. Mrs. Jones or God can keep forgiving us, but it's not a healthy relationship. So, yeah, that's kind of what Paul was arguing mm. against there. And so to come back to your original question, um, yeah, once we're in grace... You wouldn't want to do that because you realize that you're in a relationship with God. You don't want to hurt God. So very good, very good point. You don't keep sinning. And I would argue that what we're looking at here is a spiritual transformation. Mm. So when we truly encounter Christ, uh, we we don't just we're not just the same people that we were before we encountered Christ. We have changed hearts and and changed lives. We we <laughs> start stop we we start <laughs> we um start stopping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was good grammar. Um, <laughs> we discontinue doing the things that we that we used to love doing, and we start doing the things mm. that we that we never thought that we'd be doing. And the story of mm. the penitent thief is a story of spiritual transformation from blasphemer to believer. Oh. Mm, I think that if the penitent thief hadn't died, then he probably would have been he would have he would have been baptized. He would have started living a different life. You think of the story of Zac- Zacchaeus. He has this encounter with mm. Jesus, and he doesn't go back to stealing from people, this tax collector. He actually pays them back four times as much. He's completely changed. Mm. I think if yeah. the penitent thief had of you know, had lived on on earth, I think that he would have uh, done something similar to that. I think he would have had a changed life, mm. and he, I don't think he would have gone back to, to, to being a criminal again, to working under Barabbas. I think he would have had a complete 180-degree uh, turnaround. So then... What must we be do to be? What must we do to be saved? Um, I had to cut some of my verses out of my sermon due to time constraints. If I had more time, I would have expanded on John chapter three. So the story of Nicodemus. This is uh, again the recurring theme in the Bible, which talks about spiritual transformation. 
So in John chapter 3, you've got this idea of being born again. Jesus says to... Mm. Um, <clears throat> Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So being born again, a spiritual mm. transformation, death to old self, and commitment made at baptism. And you've got this very popular verse, John three sixteen to 17. Um, Mitchell, would you like to read that one? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in him is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Right. So it says pretty clearly, he who believes in him, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, believe in faith in Christ. Um, Chris, do you want to read this mm. one we've got in Acts? There's a couple of passages in Acts sure. which hammer the point home. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 16, for those of you listening at home. All right, Acts chapter 16, verses 30 through to 31. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Okay, good. So we need to put our belief and faith in Christ. That's pretty clear, in order to be saved. Mm. Um, in Christ and his sacrifice. Now let's turn back to Acts chapter 2 and see what that has to say. It says, Acts chapter 2, verse 37 to 38. Um, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, Men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? Right? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So which is it then? Is it belief or baptism? What do you think? Ooh, oh, boy. <laughs> All right, let me jump on this one. Can I, I jump on this one? one? All right. This is this is what I've been doing in Pauline's studies right. this semester. So. <laughs> let's, let's hear it. Um, so I just let, uh, I just want to go back to the idea of being born again. Sure. Um, the way that I like to think of the way we live our lives, um, I, I like to think of it as a chart with two circles, right? <clears throat> um, one circle represents the kingdom of God and one circle represents the kingdom of sin. Sure. So you have Adam and Eve, they are born into the kingdom of God. You know, they're sinless, they're perfect, but when they sin, they are taken into the kingdom of sin. And so now all of their offspring are going to be born in the kingdom of sin. That's the problem that we have. So, in order for us to be spared from the, the punishment for sin... We have to be born again into the kingdom of God, where there is no longer any condemnation for sin. Right. So, how does one get across from the kingdom of sin into the kingdom of God? Jesus is the only way. Jesus bridges the gap between those, that two, those two circles, if you imagine them. Um, it's at the cross that Jesus basically makes a bridge and says... You can be born again over into the new kingdom, into my kingdom. And then uh, you see in Romans 6 that Paul, basically what he says is, baptism is an expression of us accepting that being born again. Mm. Um, it is symbolic of being brought out of the kingdom of sin and into the kingdom of God. 
But as you said, um, with the thief on the cross, it's not essential for salvation. Um, and actually, you'll find, like, I know uh, the Catholic Church, the reason that they baptize or christen, rather, um, infants is actually from an old tradition. They believed that if you weren't baptized, that you would go straight to hell. And infant mortality rates were pretty bad during the Middle Ages. So you had a baby, you just poured water on his head ASAP and said, Father God, Father, name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, whereas we recognize that the baptism rite itself does not save you. Mm-hmm. There is n- there's nothing salvific about the water or the ceremony. The salvation process already took place. Um, this is just an outward symbol of the salvation that has already taken place in within the individual, as in they've already accepted uh, grace through faith. Um, exactly, exactly. So, yeah. So, so, as you said, you know, if the thief... Uh, had had the chance to be baptized, sure, he would have gone out and got baptized. But his salvation already took place in his heart right. when he accepted the sacrifice of Christ through grace, through faith. He accepted to cross that bridge from the kingdom of sin into the kingdom of God. And that God. spiritual so, transformation was already evident. Exactly. And uh, what's so interesting about Romans 6 is that Paul, he talks about the idea that you are in a spiritual transformation. Um, cause he says, look, you know, you are in the kingdom of God, but the funny thing is, um, you still have these desires of the flesh, you know, just sin. Mm. Um, but he says, it's okay. It's a, you're a work in process. There's a transformation process being taking place in you. So there we go. Uh, Theo, <laughs> a little bit of a theology um, course for thank you. you very Shout much, out Chris. to David Thiel. Mm. Something- so in a way it's. Sorry, go Mitchell. You're right. You, you. Sorry, Michael. I'll go after no, no, you. No, no, no. You go first. No, no. I'm going to summarize. All right, all right. Um, I just want to add something to the being born again thing. So, um, mm. in my it's in my experience, like the way I see it, it is it is everything Christopher said. Um, I just like to add to it, which is so Nicodemus came to Jesus right um, around the beginning of his mm. ministry, and he sort of said to Jesus, like, you know, what what must one do to enter the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says, you know only through being born again. Um, and so Nicodemus is like, what? What does that mean? Um, and we don't hear of Nicodemus again until the cross. Um, and what happens mm. at the cross is really, it's pretty cool. He still doesn't quite get it, um, as I'll talk about, but like he brings, I think it's 70 kilos of, it's either myrrh or some other um, incense to Jesus' body to embalm mm-hmm. him in. And that's, that's the equivalent of like $300,000 in today's money worth of this stuff. For Nicodemus, that's probably like one year, Man. one year salary or something, I don't know. He's a rich dude, right? Yeah. But, but Nicodemus has brought this massive amount of, of stuff, and it's, it's, it's symbolistic of what's going on inside Nicodemus and what has gone on over the last three years. Um, the one thing is, Nicodemus didn't get it as Mary Magdalene did because Nicodemus brought the incense when Jesus was already dead, um, sort of indicating that he thinks there's something special about, you know, or, or like he's paying his respects to the dead. But Mary understood that Jesus mm. was, like, she understood that she had to do it while he was alive. Mm. Um, anyway, that's that. But but the key thing about being born again that I take out of that story and, and from experience and stuff is, and Nicodemus would have seen it too, it's 
realizing you don't know anything. It's realizing all of this stuff you've built up, as you said, in the, in the kingdom of sin, is just false. So like, you know, you've had a life of experience, you've had a life of learning and knowledge. You know, you've read the Bible, you've taken your interpretation of the Bible, and then what happens is, is as the Holy Spirit prompts you, as it prompted Nicodemus, and as over that three-year period, Nicodemus was taught by the Spirit and he heard about Jesus and he watched Jesus, he was just learning in that whole time, man, I, I know nothing. I'm, I'm a Pharisee. I've done all the training. I've, you know, he was probably successful. I, I don't know the story of Nicodemus. is writing out there and stuff like that. I, I haven't read it. But, but like he, was, he was one of the most knowledgeable people. He was recognized as like the knowledgeable person of, of the community and all the rest because he was a Pharisee. But the point of being born again was like, Oh, my, my understanding of the world, my understanding of God and salvation and everything was wrong. I've got to turn to Jesus and understand what it actually is. And that's the process, to me, um, where being born again happens. It's the point where you reach rock bottom, where you understand that there is no... You have no knowledge, you know? You have nothing left... And once you've reached that point, that's when, you know, Jesus through the Bible, through prayer, through the Holy Spirit, can start building you up from, like, ground level into a knowledge of what's actually going on and how, how things actually are. Mm. Mm. And that makes the, the symbol of being born again even more yeah. profound, isn't it? Because you basically have to say, all yeah, right, exactly. I'm a baby. Exactly. That's, that's yeah, what exactly, it is. Exactly. I know that's nothing. Yeah. And then you kind of have to start over again, as you said, you know. All right, God, exactly, you, yeah. you yes, teach me exactly, now. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's 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 perfect. That's a really cool idea. Yeah, like me that. too. And when we come to that realization, that's a massive part of our spiritual transformation. In fact, I don't think our transformation can take place unless we realize that. Mm. Yeah. No, it can't. Yeah, and so it shows. It shows that it's ongoing, oh, isn't it? Just right, like right. you grow up. And, and this applies yeah, back to the point. Yeah, it's not you like a... old. Sorry, I, I am completely cutting in. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. No, 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 it's all good. You I'm go for it. Yeah. Hang on. Um, we were talking before about keeping the law. Oh, man, this makes sense now. You know mm. how we were saying, you know, <laughs> you can't just be saved by grace. You've also got to keep the law. Well, this is why you keep the law. Uh, like, you're saved by grace. You realize you know nothing. You've been born again. And you think to yourself, right, I know nothing. Where can I get my source of knowledge? And you say, all right, God. And what does God say to do? Oh, we follow the law. Right? Mm. That's why you follow the law. You don't follow the law because, you know, you want to follow God, you want to be a good a good Christian and all the rest. You follow the law because you recognize that you don't know anything. And you need yeah. guidance. It's the... Mm. Yeah, Very the guidelines for life. That's it. Yep. Sorry, that was my for little sure. cut in. No, that's great. That's a really good <laughs> point. Really good point. Mm. So, in a way, it's both. In a way, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. And this is shown by our commitment to be baptized, our desire to live changed lives, our desire to every day um, want to learn more, want God to change us, want God to to um, encourage us, want God to enlighten us even more. I read a quote. Mm. Um, I read a quote, a quote recently. It said something like, um, "If any human was to go to the angels and give them a list of of the most beautiful and the most amazing and the most encouraging." 
um, spiritual things that they've done, but not have Christ in there and not have his sacrifice in there, it would be looked upon as treason. Good works mm. don't save us. But of course, good works are the, um, they're the evidence for our salvation. Mm. They're the fruits, they're the consequences. They're the fruits, yeah. exactly. The consequences, exactly. Exactly right. And what else is interesting, again, if you think about it relational-wise, Mr. Jones, uh, let's go Mr. Smith and Mrs. Smith. Um, imagine if, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, they have their marriage day, and on that day they say, I love you, Mr. Smith, I love you, Mrs. Smith. <laughs> um, and for the rest of their lives, they never say, I love you once again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they yeah. never do that. Mm. But they go... And they say, no, 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 it's okay, because we, we already said that, you know. We're banking on that. Mm. We're banking on that commitment we made that one day. It's unsustainable. Mm. And so what's interesting is that Jesus and lots of the epistles, they say, uh, you, you do the baptism process, sure, but that's just a one-day thing. You do that once. Mm. Every day after that, ask for a baptism of the Holy mm. Spirit. Right. You are baptized every day. You are born again into that kingdom of God every day. It's saying that I love you again sort of thing. It's coming back to home base and saying, God, baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I need you to guide me. I need you to teach me and to give me that knowledge of how to live. Mm. And you're basically born again every day because what are we told to do? Die to self daily. Right, right. So if you die to self daily, that means you've got to be born again and you're born again through not baptism of water, by ba but by baptism mm. of spirit every day. Of course, exactly. Yeah, very well said. And another point to make, um, God calls us, or Christ calls us his ambassadors, right? Ambassadors for Christ. We're to set the example here on earth. We're, gonna, we're, we're supposed to show the world what, what Jesus is like. So we're supposed to live a life um, that, that, you know, in, in light of the life that Jesus lived. Mm. And obviously... In, um, going back to what we said before, if we were living a life of sin, saying, God, you like forgiving us, keep forgiving us, over and over and over again, people would look at us and think, those Christians, look at them and look at what they're doing. Is this what their God wants from them? Is this what their God, um, I guess, um, makes them what, what he encourages or mm. even permits? Awesome. Well, let's take a quick little break from our discussion. Uh, we're going to have a quick musical intermission. This is More Than Enough by Rebecca Ward, and we'll continue our discussion right after this song. You give me peace when my world is shaking. You bring me joy when my heart is aching. You make me brave, though my feet may tremble. More than enough for me You give me peace When my heart is shaking You bring me joy When my heart is aching You make me brave Though my feet may tremble You're more than enough for me So let me face the sun Let me not look away God, you're the only one Everything, all my days Why don't stand before you
That was More Than Enough by Rebecca Ward. Thank you, Beck, for letting us use your tunes. You definitely have a very awesome spiritual gift, and it's awesome to hear um, your musical abilities in worship and praise like that. All right, so, uh, Michael, we are just about finished uh, our discussion. What have you got in store for us for this last little bit of the podcast? All right, so just to wrap up the cutting room floor, we have this quote here. It's a relatively long quotation from the Desire of Ages, if you're aware of it. That's a book written about the life of Christ. We're looking at chapter 78, page 751, and I think we might break up the the, um, reading a little bit. So I'll uh, I'll read the first paragraph. Mitchell, if you want to read the second one, and Chris, if you want to read the, the third paragraph, we'll do it that way. And this paragraph is giving us a bit more insight into the story of the penitent thief on the cross. This is how it goes. So. Many were ready to call him Lord when he wrought miracles, and after he had risen from the grave, but none acknowledged him as he hung dying upon the cross, save the penitent thief who was saved at the eleventh hour. The bystanders caught the words as the, as the thief called Jesus Lord. The tone of the repentant man arrested their attention. Those who, at the foot of the cross, had been quarrelling over Christ's garments and casting lots over his vesture, stopped to listen. Their angry tones were hushed. With bated breath, they looked upon Christ and waited for the response from his dying lips. As he spoke the words of promise, the dark cloud that seemed to enshroud the cross was pierced by a bright and living light. To the penitent thief came the perfect peace of acceptance with God. Christ in his humiliation was glorified. He who in all other eyes appeared to be conquered was a conqueror. He was acknowledged as a sin-bearer. Men may exercise power over his human body. They may pierce the holy temples with a crown of thorns. They may strip from his raiment and quarrel over its division. But they cannot rob him of his power to forgive sins. In dying, he bears testimony to his own divinity 
and to the glory of the Father. His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear, neither his arm shortened that it cannot save. It is his royal right to save unto the uttermost all who come unto God by him. Man, the, the bit that really got me there, and it's probably just because I, like, I was thinking about it because I've read it, was the, the soldiers quarreling over his garments. Like, I think back at my own life, where I've been so focused on the stupidest things, like, just things that I thought were really important at the time, but they're so dumb when you realise, like, what's, what the big picture is. These, these soldiers were standing there, not standing there, they were, like, probably on their hands and knees, crawling around trying to get these robes, or, you know, whatever they're doing, and, and basically, like, animals. And above them, you've got Jesus and these two thieves, and they're, they're having a discussion that mirrors the whole, you know, the whole story of salvation. And, like, I hope some of them looked up and thought to themselves, what are we doing? Because, like, yeah, as I said, I've had moments where I've been quarrelling like them and, and um, not seen how silly I've been. And then I've had my other moments, luckily, where <laughs> I've been quarrelling and I've realised how dumb it is. And... You just feel so almost ashamed to think that you have focused on such a such a stupid thing when right there, right there next to you, all around you, there's this story of salvation going on and you've just missed it. Mm. I think what it takes yeah, is humility to recognize it. Because mm. if you look at the those oh, soldiers, sure. they're probably just, you know, they were mocking Jesus. Uh, you look at the impenitent thief, he was mocking Jesus as well. It took the uh, penitent thief to humble himself and realize and say those words, we are guilty, but this man is innocent. Um, I think, yeah, it takes mm. humility to kind of be stop becoming so like self-absorbed and so focused on what we're doing mm. and instead focus on Jesus. And I know, man, I've done the same thing. I think we all do it. We're all guilty of that sin of just getting distracted mm. by all these other things because it's important to us. Yeah. Instead of just stopping for a second and going, hang on, Jesus, you know, is right there. Yeah. He's yeah. right there. Yeah. Mm, definitely. Mm. And it's such a powerful passage, isn't it? Um, it's You've got this thief, this thief on the cross, one of the worst criminals imaginable. And then it says... It says, Jesus, of Jesus it says, His ear is not heavy, then it cannot hear, neither is arm shortened, then it cannot save. It is his royal right to save unto the uttermost all who come unto God by him. So no matter how bad you are, no matter what you've done, Jesus says, just look at the thief on the cross. Just look at what he'd done. And all he had to do was just repent, just acknowledge his sinful condition and acknowledge Christ yeah. as his Savior. And then Jesus yeah. said, yep, yeah, I accept you. Hmm. Really good passage. Uh, now, just to finish, a couple of sermon titles. <laughs> I always enjoy picking a title for my sermon. I have oh, a lot man. of, I have a oh, lot of different Michael, titles Michael, no, that I was kind of weighing so up. <laughs> I love this. No, I love this. Keep this. <laughs> so, oh, so man. I'm going to go over some of the titles. Some of them are obviously worse than others, but I thought that I just um, kind of. 
walk oh. you through some of the ideas going through my mind when um, I was trying to come up with a title for this sermon. So, before Rebellion to Redemption, we had From Rubbery to Redemption. That was the title of the sermon right up until like <laughs> Thursday or Friday. It was like, I don't know, one or two days before I was actually um, get, about to preach this sermon, I had this title. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to change it to re- From Rebellion to Redemption because Rebellion, I think, better... Um, summarizes not only the criminals who were called rebels, but also all of us. We can kind of that remember that. Like, well. I'll, I'll give that one. If a, you don't like from viable, you know, robbery. Okay, <laughs> Michael. For the rest of these, can we do a lightning round? I just want you to say it, and Mitchell and I will either give a yay or a nay for it. <laughs> I, I want to go lightning round. Okay, right, let's lightning go. round. Are you ready? Three, two, one. From blasphemer to believer. Uh, yeah, no. Yay. I'm going no. <laughs> oh! <laughs> From heists to Yay. Christ. Yes. <laughs> that, that is two big thumbs up. That is beautiful. That's an excellent title. <laughs> <laughs> From heists to Christ. We've got the next one coming up. It's Beauty and the Thief. Oh, I feel gross <laughs> that, about that That's one. still... That still might be my favourite. I, I love that one too much. The beauty and the thief. Next one, next one. He was breaking. Christ was entering. What? Oh. Got some breaking and entering. For the thieves. He's a thief. Not too bad. Oh, man, next I'm one. so slow. I just got that. Oh. <laughs> that's a yay. Next you one, a yay. next one. All right, that's good. CSI that's Jerusalem. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll, give, I'll take that one. Credit of Chris, that one. That was Chris's idea. Four weeks. CSI Jerusalem. Wait, or is that like my that one? idea? <laughs> Try CSI Golgotha. Uh, too, too far, Michael. Sacrilege. Too <laughs> far. Went, it was funny, and then you crossed the line. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry <laughs> I went there. And here's a bonus one. Um, for the sequel sermon, which is going to be about the Centurion, we've got a prison... Oh, sorry. A cross mounters Christ encounter. There we oh go. Oh my goodness! Right there, right there. I think my Have favorite you... is from heists to Christ, yeah, but favorite. just to um, <laughs> to be a little bit more um, descriptive and correct for a sermon title, we went with from rebellion to redemption. I'll tell so you there what, you go. I was saying nay a lot, but looking back at these, and now that I understand that <laughs> he was breaking Christ and entering thing, I actually appreciate all of those. They were all pretty good. <laughs> They're all the very CSI ones. They're just corny, and that's. Oh, those win. are my ideas. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Michael, have you ever considered writing a Doctor Zeus book like style? Yeah, exactly. Book? With all the poetry and stuff. Oh, poetry! I yeah, feel like I you should. would be that would, amazing um, at that. Oh, and that you're a really... school teacher. That's actually you've done. Yeah, really, really support my teaching. Like, yeah, I could, I could tell it to my students. Yeah, great idea. I'll, 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 I'll write right. it. I'll be the next Doctor Zeus. That's it. I want. I'm going to give you five episodes. In five episodes' time, you're going to be back on, and you're just going to read your Doctor Zeus book. All right, all right. We can we can have it during the um, musical or not so musical intermission. It'll be a spoken word sort of thing. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, with that said, Michael. Do you have any recommended readings for our dear listeners at home? Um, recommended readings? Um, not a whole lot. I um, Obviously, I have to recommend The Desire of Ages, really great book, Ellen G. White. Um, uh, all about, like I said before, the life of Christ. Um, really insightful, really good read. Um, aside from that, 
uh, other recommended readings, uh, I recommend that you read through the poem that I wrote. That's um, <laughs> a little bit egotistical. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, it's um, um, but if you wanted to read through it, um, you can um, you can read through it on on the sermon. Obviously, the the people that were listening to the sermon didn't get that luxury. They had to just listen to it. I put it up on my slides later on, so you've got the script there. Other than that, um, I'm trying to think. Is there anything else that I? Um, the Bible is always a good place to start if you want to. If you want to read that, go with um, go to Luke chapter 23. There's your um, there's your starting point right there. And any other Bible commentaries. There's one that I quoted in my in my sermon. Um, uh, I can't remember what it was called. Um, I think it's called Elliot's Elliot's Bible Commentary. Um, really interesting one that gave me some insight into the idea of the the rebels, the criminals awesome. being rebels, hard and criminal criminals. So. Um, yeah, give those a read if you get the chance. And do you have a specific chapter or anything that people can uh, read for the Desire of Ages that will talk specifically oh, sorry, yeah. about the um, Thief on the Cross? Chapter 78 is the place to go. It's all about Calvary. So it talks about the Thief on the Cross, the Centurion, um, all about Jesus' crucifixion, basically. Awesome. All right, well, Michael, where can these people find you? All right. Well, if you go to YouTube, uh, Michael Godfrey is the name. You'll find me there. Um... Yeah, to make it a bit easier, just um, just find me through the ASP podcast. I'm linked to them. Or even if you'd like to check out the sermon, there's a link in the description. You'll find me that way. Michael Godfrey. Awesome. Well, they can find me at uh, the After Sermon Podcast fortnightly here, as well as on my YouTube channel, Christopher Peterson, spelt with an S-E-M. Very make good. Make sure listen... Oh, very good indeed. Make sure listeners at home, don't forget, the Aftersome Podcast, we're everywhere. iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Podbean. Make sure to follow us all there. Uh, make sure to follow us on Facebook as well. That way you get the sermons that we will talk about a whole week in advance. That's right. Follow us on Facebook. You can listen to the sermon a week in advance before we have the After Sermon Podcast. How's that for not procrastinating your spiritual life? Oh, look at that. He puts a plug in for ASP episode 3 in the in the end credits. Never been done before. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for supporting us and for listening in with us today. That concludes today's podcast, and we hope you've been blessed as we've discussed from rebellion to redemption. Make sure to come back in a fortnight for another episode. And with that said, have a good one and good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you.